0: So this podcast has been a dream of mine for a long time, for about two years. I first met Peter, who you will hear a, a later and a lot in this podcast, when I wrote a, a, a post about Lao Tzu being the first agile coach, and he wrote to me and he said, "Of course he was the first, and of course agile is connected to the Taoism." And we started talking. And it turns out that he spent a lot of his life and energy into writing a book, which is called Agile Tao, which basically refactors the book of Tao into agility. And in this series, I would love to bring the book to you piece by piece, discuss it, understand what what these short and deceptively simple poems say and have talks with Peter. So this is the first attempt at the podcast of the Agile Tao. And one thing that I learned is to never ask Peter how come He wrote the Agile Tao and what was the process because his answers will be very long. But let's try that anyway. So, hello Peter. (laughs) Hello, Dov. How are you going? Let's dedicate five minutes. So, let's say the elevator pitch of what's the story of the Agile Tao. Okay. Uh, About 30 years ago, my father
1: left me a library. And in the library, he had three English translations of Lao Tzu. I'd never discussed the book with him, so I I thought it was curious. uh, And I decided I'd sit down one day and see which of these seemed to be the most appealing. And I was surprised to find that they were all completely different to each other. So, but since it was clearly an important book to him, I sat down and I made notes about what these three editions had in common. And... Uh, I didn't know what to do with these notes I showed them to a few friends who had interests in Eastern things and to cut a long story short I wound up sharing them with the very first signology mailing list in the world that uh, the Australian National University ran back in those days and so I put the notes up there and this was a mailing list full of actual Sinologists, and I was just a computer science guy who knew nothing and maybe that was my advantage, but anyway, they tore my notes to shreds. Rubbish, nonsense, bilge, and they gave me a lot of really good negative feedback. Uh, So, after three years of getting feedback from these guys and then trying again and getting more feedback, I got it to a point where they stopped giving feedback. So either they were very bored or it was not so bad. So, um, through a series of a long series of uh, a comedy of errors, I wound up realizing that this was an important book to me. It had nothing to do with my father. And uh, it, it got republished as a, a, the official English translation of Lao Tzu by a bunch of large population uh, Chinese websites. It got turned into the the fundamental Bible of Dudism by a guy who wanted to make a religion out of... Uh, out of the the Big Lebowski and I realized that okay if I'm going to do this properly I'm going to do it from the Chinese not from some English translations and I'm going to do it in a painstaking way so I started doing this and very quickly I realized that I had made a mistake the first time I did it I had not taken enough liberties. You see the reason why these translations were all different to one another is because there's very little context in the original poetry, and there's no dictionaries that date back as far as this poem dates. So, to cut another long story short, I wound up realizing that some parts of this poem were ringing bells for me. And the part that really rang a bell was uh, uh, two pictograms, Sheng Ren. I don't speak Chinese, I only understand the pictograms in this poem. So, Sheng Ren, uh, literally, stands for, in English, the lively ones. And I went, the lively ones? In English, Shen Ren's usually translated as the sage. And the sage is apparently a very cool guy. He's you know, very enlightened. He does this, he does that. Uh, the lively ones? He's talking about agile people. This whole book's about agility. Oh. And so that became a key to producing a new translation. Sorry to go on so long, Dov.
0: Awesome. So, as I warned you, um, that's how Peter sounds when he tries to sound short. Can we start by perhaps one thing we didn't say this whole time is what is this Book of Tao anyway? And perhaps uh, I would say one short phrase about it, and I hope you will not correct me in five minutes long. (laughs) I will not correct you. I'll I'll give you a one-word answer. Okay. So uh, the Book of Tao is basically a book that was written mythically 2,500 years ago by a probably fictional guy called Lao Tzu, to collect all his wisdom and the way he understands and sees the world. And basically, the way I understand how he sees the world is, uh, is can be summed up in uh, two words. Shit happens. Whatever happens is the thing that happens and everything is one and, and all, that is, uh, all that exists is, is now and here and everywhere which is a very, <laughs> very strange statement and uh, which inspired us to, by the way, to, to choose the soundtrack which is uh, Across the Universe by the Beatles in a wonderful uh, version. I'll say more about this at the end. And to start off the, the um, diving into the book, we chose today not the first poem, we, we can call it poems, right? Sure. Or chapters, whatever. Chapters, a point, Not the first one, which I think is too complicated, but a uh, much simpler one. So, Peter, would you like to take it away?
1: We should say one thing about that, because uh, I am concerned that not starting with chapter one means that what we just said is out of context. It's as if, because really the way that I'm trying to refactor this is so that the whole thing hangs together. These are uh, While well, they're chapters, they're chapters that have an overall narrative structure. Um, so I'm not trying to say we shouldn't do this podcast or we shouldn't publish this podcast, but I'm concerned that a listener, without having that flow, loses something. And that's part of what I was wrestling with in trying to interpret the poem was that it's
0: now out of context. So perhaps what we do is uh, we can go to the first poem which starts it all. Would you like to do that? Sure, I'd be happy to. Chapter 1,
1: Mind Life is not the breath in your lungs nor, mind, the thoughts in your head. Mind is the course of all thoughts and life its source. Thoughts represent forms. Forms express thoughts, each generating the other in waves on the surface of mind. Beneath the surface, formless and silent, boundless and liquid, dream dreams with no dreamer.
0: The silence is so nice that I don't want to cut it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful poem.
1: Okay. I'm glad you... I, look, uh, the fact is, this is... Well, it's not the hardest of the poems. Um, it's very much the hardest to translate. Because the particularly the very first line is like the biggest challenge for every translator. It, it literally, if we... Well, hyper-literally, it would be something on the lines of the Tao that can be dowed isn't really the Tao, uh, and it's 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 too. And it, since the word is used throughout the poem, it's too hard.
0: Every time I, I, I read this poem, and I try to understand it, and of course, for sure, a few times we talked about it. Every time when I when I, when I say what I see in it you have stuff to add. <laughs> so I would love you to, to um, explain what the poem is, what the poem is about. What is it? All right. Um, so I talked a
1: little bit before about this word, choice, Sheng Ren, with the sage. The sage doesn't turn up in this, in this particular poem the challenge of that first line has to be answered you have to have some meaning for this word Tao. and the traditional way of translating it as the way doesn't cut the mustard the way that can be way doesn't really the way what the heck could that mean i know you don't want to talk about word choices but the word choices and the meanings are, are interlinked you can't have one without the other and that's actually part of what the poem is saying so if we just take it from the first line life is not the breath in your lungs So I'm trying to mirror the structure of the Chinese. The Tao that can be Tao isn't really the Tao. If, if the, this grand Tao thing, uh, there's nothing really grander, we could talk about than life. Okay, that's not so bad. And then the breath in your lungs. All right, now we, we have the Tao that can be Tao. That's not so bad. Nor mind the thoughts in your head. And this is, again, mirroring exactly the form of the Chinese. Mind is the course of all thoughts, and life its source. So we're dealing with things that in English, they are so abstract as to defy decomposition into dictionary phrases. But in Lao Tzu, these things have functional relationships, and that's what we get at in the second stanza. And I know I'm doing violence to the poem by analyzing it productively but what the heck here we are talking about it so we have to so if we think of the way that mind works what this poem is saying is that the way we think about it is an illusion my mind your mind that these are separate the moment we start communicating the words that come from me to you i write them down or whoever it is is listening to this uh, internalizes them the moment that we start doing that we are taking part in something that connects us, we this is a whole sort of um cosmic consciousness thing that, that the new wave thing that somehow we're all interconnected. Well, it's not somehow, it's very obvious that when we communicate, we are taking part in a non local flow of thoughts. And the weird thing is, we make this sharp distinction between the world that's evoked by thought and the world of things all around us. But the fact is, w- the world all around us only exists in the way that we represent the sensations of it that we receive from whatever the heck hardware it is we happen to be made of. So it's something that doesn't have an existence without thought. We imagine that it does. We imagine that it exists when, we, when we're when we not here anymore. What we have... In physics tells us, I'm not going to go all into sort of quantum voodoo stuff. What we have in physics tells us that when we come down to the fundamentals, we can't measure existence without applying a process of measurement that interferes with the way the existence works. So thoughts represent forms. Forms express thoughts. Well, this is a simple functional relationship. Of course, forms represent thoughts represent forms. What else could they do? And forms express thoughts. Well, that's a really that kind of rephrases this idea of thought. I wanted originally to talk about information here. I thought um information represents forms, forms express information. It's nice and general. The trouble is it's not general enough. So each generating the other in waves on the surface of mind. This is mind as if it was the surface of an ocean. And and the fact is, it is. That's actually, we're dealing with something that's continuous and we don't imagine that it is. We imagine that it is not. And it's just an imagination. So each generating the other, the flow of thought and form, information and form, however you want to try and put it, these things are constantly interacting with each other in the same way that uh, electricity and magnetism interact with each other. Beneath that surface, well, the moment we get beneath the surface of thought, we are dealing with something we cannot communicate. Because anything to do with that surface has to be communicated using words that represent representations of, of thought. So the trouble is that what can we do with whatever it is that's going on underneath that surface? We can't communicate it. What we can do in the same way that when we are drinking water, we we can embrace it. We can accept it. We can be composed of it. That's where we get to formless and silent. Because the moment, if let's say I dive into the water. I, I go to the beach and I dive in. Well, there's a surface all around me. Um, I can't find any way to get through that surface. Formless and silent, the surface is describing forms. The surface is describing the sensations. So whatever is beneath it must be formless, must be silent. Boundless, because there's no surface. And liquid, because I can't come to grips with it. Dream dreams with no dreamer. The idea of a dreamer. When you go to sleep at night and you dream that, that this is something you own, you don't know that. The things that, that occur to you in dreams, you have no idea where they come from, but the idea that beneath all of this stuff that we're presently talking about, that there's something going on that is deeper than that. What other word can we use for it but dream? In the original, uh, most not original. In most of the Chinese translations you will find, most of the English translations of the Chinese, which is itself a translation of something we're not entirely certain about. Most of those translations like to talk about gates, uh, mysterious gates, sometimes mysterious kinds of spirits. They go on and on. I think that we, can, we should always aim to be parsimonious with this stuff, to have the simplest words. Dream dreams with no dreamer. Mirrors that first line about the Tao that can be Daoed is not really the Tao. Dream dreams with no dreamer meets the first two lines of the poem, and to me, and I'm talking as the translator, so I guess it shouldn't be a personal interpretation, but what the heck, I feel it is. I love the idea that these dreams dreaming without a dreamer are like whales and dolphins beneath the surface of the water. We can't see them, and they surface, and we have this experience of a dream, or we have this experience of a reality, and then they dive back down again. And who's to say that if they surface in one person's life or another person's life, who's to say that they're not the same? We don't know. So that's why dream dreams with no dreamer.
0: Wonderful. I just wanted to say one thing about uh, what you said. I fell in love with two versions of the Book of Tao. One is yours, and the other one is Nisimamon's. And um, in both versions, I saw how much the personality of the translator, let's call it the interpreter, interpreter shines through the text. So, so much of the book that you read is the translator and not the original text, which is a set of symbols that were written if there was any original text. Far If there ever was an original text. Um, Before we finish this podcast, one last question which uh, intrigues me when I read the Agile Tao, every poem, and I don't know if this is the right question to ask in in this particular uh, poem. Let's say, A big company, an enterprise, integrated this poem inside it. In what way would it change? What sort of other decisions or mindset or whatever would happen if they would put it at the entrance door of the heart and when people enter the workplace, they will understand this poem? Does a question like this make sense to you?
1: It does. And I don't think you're going to like my answer. I don't think it would change it one little bit. And I think that the later on, we've got this lovely chapter 14 that explains why not. Uh, when we talk about agile mindset, I think this poem goes to that because the idea that, that mind is not local, that is not something that's confined to your head. Um, in the same sense that that your breath is not something that's confined to your lungs. It's a constant interchange of breath, not just with the trees and so on, but with everybody. We're all in the one environment, the whole one atmosphere. So the idea that some words are going to break people out of their little tunnel that they use to navigate through their organization, that's too hard. I think that what we really need to be thinking about when we're dealing with these big corporations is generating something living within them. So in Xscale, the stuff that I, I, I usually do in the agile world, um, we have this thing we call self-propagating transformation. The idea is that we want to have something very slender and simple business, design, delivery, DevOps, something that's only a few people, we can mature it. We can get it to a place where it's actually expressing harmony. And then we can grow it. We can split it down the middle. We can double it. We can uh, grow a capability so that we don't need to try and influence uh, uh, the whole organization. Let's just build something that works and grow the capability.
0: Okay, I'll attempt to ask this question at the end of every chapter, if you don't mind. I don't mind. (laughs) Perhaps you'll change your answer. Um, Uh, You
1: might not like my answers then
0: either. (laughs) I I like your answer. That's why I wanted to have this podcast. So thanks a lot. Before we end, a big, big thank you for Gilad Exelman, Ziv and Petros Klampanis for the wonderful version of Across the Universe that uh, accompanies this podcast. I wish you well, and uh, let's meet in the next chapter. Excellent. Excellent. Go to it.